Chapters thirty five and thirty six of Taken at the Flood by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Thirty five. Stricken down. In the early part of March, Sir Aubrey left his room. He was now pronounced well enough to spend a few hours in the saloon daily, and even to take a short drive in the yellow chariot on a sunny day, when the wind was in a genial quarter he was very glad to avail himself of these privileges and made haste to abandon his invalid habits dressed himself as carefully as ever and reappeared with that gracious and patrician aspect which made him look like one of van dyck's portraits in modern costume he thanked sylvia courteously for her attention to him during his illness and was kinder than usual to her forbearing to criticise her conduct in trifles and to lecture my dear he said i have given you no present since i put my mother's diamond keeper upon your finger it belonged to her mother's mother you know and has a higher value from association than from the worth of the stones which are of the purest water but small sylvia gave a little regretful sigh she had once supposed that diamond hoop to be the forerunner of a shower of gifts plenteous as that golden rain which descended on danae i have not given you jewels sylvia partly because i do not care to see a woman bedizened with precious stones but more because i do not wish to be associated in your mind with rich gifts when i am dead and gone you will be rich rich enough to be a prize for some adventurer should you be so foolish as to marry again hereupon sir aubrey opened an oval morocco case in which reposed on black velvet a necklace of single diamonds each as large as a prize pea the silver setting was so light as to be hardly visible the necklace seemed a circlet of liquid light sylvia's eyes sparkled she gave a gasp of mingled surprise and delight how lovely she exclaimed it is yours my love answered the baronet in his placid way i bought the necklace for a duke's daughter but death stole my promised bride i give it now to my true and kind wife lady periam not easily melted burst into tears god keep me true to you in thought and in deed she cried passionately but i am not worthy of your kindness you have been my patient nurse my faithful companion answered sir aubrey gently dry your tears my dear a diamond necklace is not a thing to cry about i am very proud of your gift it is more splendid than anything i ever dreamed of but it is your kindness that touches me said sylvia she had remembered how mean she had thought him because he had doled her out a small allowance of pocket-money how she had ascribed the dreariness of her life to his desire to save expenditure and behold he threw a gift worth thousands into her lap as carelessly as if it had been a handful of summer blossoms when shall i wear these diamonds she asked herself or rather inquired of destiny as she clasped the necklace around her throat before the glass in her dressing-room perhaps if sir aubrey is inclined to be indulgent he will take me to london this year and let me be presented and see the world it is hard to have wealth and jewels and a title and youth and good looks and yet to be buried alive at Perriam place the next day was the brightest of the new year but sir aubrey protested against the yellow chariot when mr stimson who was still in attendance recommended a quiet drive i detest being shut up in a coach he said i'd rather take a little walk in the garden with lady periam so be it then 
replied the doctor who wished to make his regimen agreeable to so profitable a patient i don't know that a walk mightn't be better than a drive only be sure you don't fatigue yourself just a gentle stroll up and down the terrace in the sunshine with lady perriam's arm for a support it was about three o'clock in the afternoon when sir aubrey and his wife went out for this promenade a bright tranquil spring-like afternoon only the gentle west wind faintly stirring the evergreens a calm blue sky with fleecy clouds and a gentle sunshine upon the landscape there had been much rain lately and the pastures looked emerald bright against the dark arable lands while here and there the first tinge of green showed faintly on the southward fronting hedgerows a beautiful world my dear said sir aubrey as he surveyed the varied prospect i have seen a good deal of it but i have found nothing so good as perriam perriam is very nice replied sylvia meekly but you will show me a little more of the world some day won't you sir aubrey yes my love we will travel a little more by and by when i am stronger i wish your life to be happy i fear you have had a rather dull winter but then happily you are not used to society no answered sylvia perhaps that's why i long for it more than other people true the unknown is ever delightful you remember what pope says man never is but always to be blessed i hate pope replied sylvia impatiently upon which sir aubrey gave her a brief lecture on the folly of hating a poet whose philosophy is as correct as his versification the effort appeared to exhaust him for he drooped a little on his second perambulation of the terrace i am not so strong as i fancied myself this morning he said i feel a little shaky in spite of the support of your arm i'll go back to the house after this turn they lingered a little for sir aubrey to rest on the spot where they had stood when he asked sylvia to be his wife sir aubrey looked down at the little green churchyard with a dreamy gaze the very spirit of tranquillity pervaded the scene the grey old church tower with its quaint corbels and water spouts and varied tints of moss and lichen stood out clearly defined against the clear cold sky death wore its softest aspect in that placid valley mild as the atmosphere was the invalid shivered i'll go indoors my love he said i am not strong enough for walking yet they went back to the house sir aubrey leaning a little on sylvia's arm and sighing once or twice during the journey as if it were rather a troublesome business the invalid returned to his easy-chair by the fire in the saloon where sylvia gave him his book a volume of the spectator whose leaves he turned listlessly now and then reading a page here and there and smiling faintly at the familiar passages or murmuring a quotation at the head of an essay she arranged the little table by his chair on which he kept a book or two the day's newspapers and a glass of weak sherry and water and then prepared to take her place on the opposite side of the hearth where it was her wont to beguile the slow hours with fancy work novels and indeed modern light literature of all kinds sir aubrey set his face against thus woman's favourite amusement was in a manner forbidden to lady perriam but the baronet begged his wife to enjoy the afternoon sunshine finish your walk my dear he said graciously you can come back to me when you are tired of the terrace i am always glad to have you near me but you have been too long a prisoner sylvia obeyed she was very tired of that spacious saloon with its unchanging splendour chairs and tables always in the same positions no variety no look of life or movement 
she was glad to be alone with her own thoughts which of late had taken shapes that disturbed and perplexed her sir aubrey's unsettled health gave rise to agitating conjectures she knew very well that there was guilt in many of these meditations but she had never acquired the habit of ruling her own thoughts she let them drift as they would and the image which oftenest filled her mind was the image of one whom it was the first duty of her life to forget she walked to and fro for about an hour and was beginning to think of returning to her post by the fireside and her duties of nurse and comforter when she heard a distant step on the gravel walk firm light and quick a step that reminded her of edmund standon's she knew that the step could hardly be his mr standon's presence in that place scarcely came within the limits of the possible yet the sound set her heart beating vehemently so weak was that undisciplined heart she walked towards the other end of the terrace and saw the well-known figure of mr bain the lawyer he had been away from monkhampton for nearly a month in the south of france with his ailing wife whom the doctors had ordered to the shores of the mediterranean as her sole chance of surviving the severe winter difficult as it was for shadrach bain to leave business he had performed his duty as a husband escorted his wife to cannes and stayed with her until her health had been in some measure re-established monkhampton had been loud in its praises for this domestic loyalty though some among his clients had grumbled a little at the loss of their astute adviser it had been no small relief to sylvia to escape the searching gaze of those keen eyes from the very beginning of her acquaintance with shadrach bain sylvia had felt that here was a man who was in the habit of looking deeper than the surface of things and that she had need to guard her secret thoughts against his watchfulness he had always been courteous to her nay had evinced the most profound respect by his every word and action yet knowing no more of him than that he was a good man of business and a trusted agent of sir aubrey's she felt an undefinable fear of his influence or in a word she fancied that he knew her he approached her with his usual grave politeness not ceremonious but gravely respectful good afternoon lady Perriam. i have just been with sir aubrey he has been kind enough to ask me to stay to dinner and as the dew is falling he suggested that i should request you to come indoors there is no dew yet a while answered sylvia somewhat impatiently sir aubrey had a tiresome way of ordering her about through the medium of mr bain i shall walk a little longer may i be your companion during that time asked mr bain i have no objection replied sylvia coldly she would have given a great deal to keep mr bain forever outside the gates of Perriam yet subservient as he appeared she felt that he was just the kind of man to make her pay dearly for incivility your permission sounds almost like an interdict said the agent yet i will venture to remain sir aubrey must have been very ill while i was in france not worse than he has been several times this winter indeed yet i see so marked a change in him i don't know how to describe it but it struck me at the first glance and i was pained to perceive it do you think he is dangerously ill asked sylvia turning upon him with a quick bright light in her eyes no lady Perriam, i do not think there is much danger of your being left a widow yet a while answered mr bain with inscrutable gravity you really frightened me with your talk about a change in sir aubrey i can see no change myself and mr stimson says he is improving daily that there is nothing wanted but the warm weather to make him quite well and strong again i am glad mr stimson is so hopeful 
the change which struck me so painfully was perhaps more in sir aubrey's manner than his appearance there was an altered tone a feebler manner an indecision about everything he said i was talking to him nearly an hour about business and i had plenty of time to observe him in a word he is not the man i left less than a month ago sylvia was silent she remembered her own discovery of sir aubrey's uncertain memory that almost childish habit of repeating his speeches did death begin his insidious work thus in the slow decline of the faculties sir aubrey was by no means an old man it was not time for memory to grow dim for sight to fail for hearing to grow faint let us go back to the house said lady Perriam. if once sir aubrey gets the idea of dew into his head he will fidget himself till i am indoors you have reason to be proud of such thoughtfulness on his part remarked mr bayne yes it's very kind but rather tiresome returned sylvia who was more candid with mr bayne in trifles than with other people having that inward conviction that he could see through small artifices she went back to the saloon before going upstairs to dress for dinner went back dutifully to see if her husband had any further need of her attendance though there had been still a soft grey light in the garden here in the saloon reigned deepest dusk so much of the waning day was excluded by the draperies of those seven tall windows the seven windows looked white and wan in the twilight like seven tall ghosts the fire had burned low and only shed a ruddy glow upon the hearth lady Perriam stood by the door looking in mr bayne standing just behind her sir aubrey sat with his arm hanging loosely across the arm of the chair his head lying back against the cushions an open book at his feet he had fallen asleep no doubt i won't disturb him said sylvia mr stimson said rest was of great importance i think i'd better replenish the fire suggested mr bayne it will go out directly if it isn't attended to he went softly towards the hearth sylvia still waiting near the door to see if that replenishing of the fire would awaken sir aubrey mr bayne knelt down and put a couple of dry logs gently on the ashes the dry wood began to sputter and crackle immediately an ornamental brass screen wide and tall guarded the invalid from those flying sparks of burning wood the recumbent figure never stirred mr bayne still on his knees looked round at his employer the dry logs burst into a sudden blaze which lighted all the room and shone full upon sir aubrey's face one quick startled look at that face and the agent sprang to his feet and pulled the bell-rope till a loud peal sounded through the house then he bent over that motionless figure loosened the neckcloth raised the head all quietly enough lady Perriam looking on all the while with terror in her colourless face she had rushed to the hearth when mr bayne rang the bell do you think he is dead she asked in an awful whisper no i can feel the beating of his heart send a messenger to mr stimson on the fastest horse in the stables continued mr bayne to the servant who appeared in answer to his loud summons if mr stimson is out when he gets to monkhampton let him fetch dr cardross and if he's out let him go on to mr byfield he must ride for his life mind and not lose a minute in getting off and let another messenger john bates he is a sharp fellow go to dr topsall of headingham sir aubrey has had an attack i fear paralysis tell some one to fetch chapelain chapelain the valet had heard that shrill peal of the bell and was by his master's side before the other servant had left the room there was no time lost 
mr bain and the valet laid sir aubrey on a sofa in the most comfortable position they could place him in and this done there was little more to do than wait the coming of medical aid perriam place stood midway between monkhampton and headingham either way the messenger would have three miles to ride the doctor three miles to come there's no hope of anything being here under an hour said mr bain who had been wonderfully self-possessed throughout lady perriam sat like a statue hardly less white than the sculptor's marble her eyes alone moved and they kept wandering restlessly from the prostrate form upon the sofa to the anxious faces of agent and valet is there any danger she asked always referring to that one last awful hazard of death she had wished her husband dead but the wish had been but a vague thought she shrank appalled from the realization of that half-formed desire there is something peculiarly awful in a wicked wish being gratified almost as soon as it is formed it is like the direct interposition of satan a first attack is rarely fatal answered mr bain as calmly as if he had been a physician of long practice there is every reason to hope that sir aubrey may be quite restored in a few days but it is rather alarming while it lasts alarming echoed lady perriam it is horrible is he quite insensible do you think i am not sure he seems half asleep i am afraid this arm is paralyzed it hangs so helplessly and is so cold said the valet who was on his knees by the sofa chafing the lifeless hand the dreary hour of waiting wore on sylvia sitting silent and unobtrusive mr bain and the valet doing what little they could yet afraid to do much lest they should do the wrong thing the ticking of the clock on the chimney-piece the wood ashes falling lightly on the hearth and sir aubrey's troubled breathing were the only sounds that broke the mournful silence by and by after half an hour's waiting which had seemed half a day to the watchers they were startled by feeble half-articulate sounds they came from the pale lips of sir aubrey who was striving painfully for speech when he did speak after that laborious effort his voice was dull and hollow so might lazarus have spoken when he came out of the cavern at his master's bidding to sylvia those strange tones sounded like the voice of the re-arisen dead have i been asleep asked sir aubrey in imperfectly formed syllables as if in awful mockery of a child's first efforts to shape the words he hears from others yes sir aubrey very long for some time the dim grey eyes looked wonderingly about why is it dark already why don't they light the lamps we thought this subdued light was better for you sir aubrey better for me i'm not an invalid i don't mean to be an invalid any more mumbled the baronet always with the same effort the same uncertain articulation they did their best to prevent his talking much or exciting himself but in trying to raise himself presently he discovered that one side of his body was immovable the left leg as well as the left arm appearing powerless what is this he asked more distinctly than he had spoken before as if terror gave force to his accents i can't move i've lost the use of one side what does it mean neither the agent nor the valet answered this anxious question they looked at each other doubtfully the valet murmured some soothing speech in his own tongue i know what it means said sir aubrey it is paralysis 
the one disease i have dreaded ever since i saw my grandfather wheeled about perium in a bath-chair with his head hanging on one side when i was a little boy and yet i hardly thought it would seize me i thought mordred might be stricken he has always been a weak ailing creature i never thought i should be the one thirty six lady perriam engages a sick nurse mr stimson came in a little less than an hour from the time when the messenger started in quest of him the man had found him at home and the old surgeon had driven over to perriam as fast as a good horse and a light gig would take him he made his examination ordered the invalid to be taken up to his bedroom and suggested an immediate telegram to a famous london physician we must have crow down to-morrow he said confidentially to mr bain when he had assisted at sir aubrey's removal and seen him made comfortable in the vast four-post bed which had the grander and funereal gloom of a catafalque the case is serious and we must have a good nurse he added in a louder tone lady perriam mr bain and the doctor were all in the dressing-room adjoining sir aubrey's bedchamber cannot i nurse my husband asked sylvia he likes me to be with him as his companion no doubt but to attempt anything more in his present state would be to impair your own health we must get some reliable person to be in constant attendance upon sir aubrey his valet of course will be able to do a good deal but a woman will be wanted as well i know what ordinary servants are they soon get tired of sick rooms a curious look flashed into lady perriam's face it had been cold and expressionless till this moment i think i know of a person in london who would do she said quickly has she any experience as a sick nurse oh yes she has had experience shall i write to engage her it would be better to telegraph answered mr stimson i can take the message if you'll be so good as to write it no i'd rather write to her she'll want money for travelling expenses i can enclose a banknote in my letter would it not be wiser to get some one from monkhampton suggested mr bain i do not know any one in monkhampton and i do know this person in london said lady perriam looking at the doctor and not at mr bain if my husband is to have a nurse i should like her to be a nurse of my choice rather than any one else's this was her first defiance of mr bain and trivial as the occasion seemed sylvia felt that it was not without its significance she had an inward conviction that shadrach bain wanted to be master in that house aspired in his presumption to rule her even sir aubrey's helplessness laid the household in a manner at the agent's feet now therefore was the time for her to assert her supremacy i'll write to this person mr stimson she added without looking once at mr bain yet feeling that those cold grey eyes were watching her you may consider that matter settled very well lady perriam we must contrive to get on till she comes down you are sure she is experienced quite sure do you suppose i would engage her if it were otherwise certainly not lady perriam only your own experience of illness has been happily so slight what is this woman's name by the way carf carter replied lady perriam mr bain observed the hesitation and a bright red spot that kindled in the cheek of the speaker and slowly faded the feeble steps of shuffling slipshod feet sounded without the door opened 
and mordred perriam came into the room carrying an old-fashioned silver candlestick with a guttering candle that had burned almost to the socket it was one of the absent-minded bookworm's habits to let his candles burn down to the socket and to let his fire go out half a dozen times a day custom had made him independent of servants and he relighted his own fire and had a stock of candles at hand to fill the empty candlesticks no one ever gave less trouble in a household than harmless mr perriam as he came into the dimly lighted room with the yellow glare of that flaming candle on his face the same thought entered the minds of sylvia and mr bain they were both alike impressed by the awful resemblance which sir aubrey's countenance changed as it was by the paralytic stroke bore to the face of his younger brother that painful change which had aged the elder man by ten years made the brothers as much alike as if they had been twins mordred stared at the three occupants of the room in a helpless agitated way for a minute or so before he spoke is there anything wrong he asked at last has anything happened it's eight o'clock and the dinner-bell hasn't rung you had better dine in your own room to-night mr perriam answered shadrach bane your brother is very ill is he worse than he was this morning much worse said mr stimson and then he told mordred about the seizure why wasn't i sent for asked mordred piteously you would have done no good replied mr bane with his practical air don't agitate yourself mr perriam sir aubrey will be all right in a day or two i dare say is he in there inquired mordred pointing to the open door of the bedroom yes but you'd better not disturb him said the doctor chapelain is with him and he has fallen into a doze quiet is a grand point supreme quiet no one must go in and out but lady perriam very well i will do whatever is best though i should like to see him said mr perriam with resignation yet dolorously but please don't keep me away from him longer than is necessary i am very fond of my brother indeed i have reason to be so for he is the only friend i have mr stimson said something reassuring would there be any objection to my sitting here for an hour or two inquired mr perriam i shall not make any noise i won't speak a word so i don't think i can disturb my poor brother i should like to feel that i was near him i see no objection said mr stimson unless lady perriam he added vaguely appealing to sylvia i have no objection to mr perriam staying here she said carelessly she considered mordred perriam of little more importance than a piece of animated furniture wearisome on occasions but hardly worthy of consideration at any time it could matter very little whether he were in one room or another mordred stayed therefore seated in a warm chair by the hearth rubbing his withered old hands and shivering a little now and then or occasionally breathing troubled sighs mr stimson departed after promising to telegraph to a london physician directly he got back to monkhampton promising also to be at perriam place by eight o'clock next morning mr bain went downstairs with the doctor but declared his intention of remaining at perriam till a late hour i have no patients waiting for me he said so i'll stay as long as i can and see how sir aubrey goes on you might call at my door as you go by and tell my daughters what has happened stimson they might be alarmed if i were later than they expected mr stimson promised to do his neighbour this kindness mr bain went into the dining-room where all was laid ready for sir aubrey's small family 
there were the three covers set forth with accustomed pomp far apart on the great sahara of tablecloth mr bain rang the bell with an air of being quite at home bring me some dinner he said to the butler and you'd better send a tray up to lady Perriam's dressing-room she won't come downstairs any more this evening i dare say lady Perriam was in no humour for refreshment of a substantial character she told the servant to bring her some tea and take the dinner-tray away she was writing a letter when the maid went in with the tea-things sir aubrey's dressing-room opened out of the bedroom on one side and on the other communicated with that narrow passage which led to mordred's apartments lady Perriam's dressing-room was a small oak panelled chamber on the other side of the bedroom a chamber that in days gone by had been used as an oratory by a certain lady Perriam of roman catholic faith and jacobite leanings it was a narrow slip of an apartment with a small fireplace in one of the angles like those one sees in some of the closets at hampton court three dark blue oriental jars adorned the high narrow chimney-piece a fine carving of the Perriam coat of arms stood boldly out upon the time-darkened panel above them sombre green damask curtains shrouded the one narrow window and its deep cushioned window-seat the washstand and dressing-table of darkest mahogany were small and inconvenient a chippendale pembroke table with the famous claw and ball feet filled the centre of the room a tall narrow wardrobe occupied the end wall and with a secretaire and two roomy old armchairs completed the furniture of the apartment seen by the light of two tall candles lady Perriam's dressing-room had a somewhat gloomy air one might fancy one of the state prisons of the tower that room for instance where sir thomas overbury was done to death about as lively of aspect sylvia was deeply absorbed in that letter so deeply that she seemed hardly aware of the servant's entrance with the dainty little silver tray though the maid perhaps out of kindly concern for her mistress possibly out of curiosity lingered a few minutes to stir the fire and to draw those heavy curtains a little closer the letter ran thus Perriam place near monkhampton march ninth dear mrs carford i find it in my power to provide at least a temporary home for you if you are able to fulfil the duties which will be required of you in the position i can offer in your struggles to obtain a living you may have sometimes been employed as a sick nurse if that is the case and you feel yourself able to nurse and wait upon an elderly gentleman who has just been rendered helpless by a paralytic stroke i can engage you as an attendant upon my husband sir aubrey Perriam but it must be understood if you come here that you will say nothing about your past life to any member of this household and that you will keep the strictest silence upon anything you may happen to know about my father i offer you this opportunity out of compassion for your sad state and hope you will give me no reason to repent my confidence i enclose a ten-pound note to enable you to provide yourself with decent clothes and to pay your travelling expenses please to buy a ready-made outfit and come by the first train that will bring you conveniently after your receipt of this letter if questioned as to your qualification as a sick nurse you must reply that you have had ample experience but you need give no details when you arrive here you will inquire for lady Perriam, and you will call yourself mrs carter as i imagine you would hardly like to be known by the name that belonged to you in better days yours truly sylvia Perriam, late carew this letter addressed and sealed lady Perriam looked at her watch there was just time for a groom to catch the monkhampton post which did not go out till half-past nine o'clock it now wanted a quarter to nine 
she rang and gave the maid the letter with strict orders that it should be taken to monkhampton without a moment's delay the maid promised obedience this business dispatched sylvia drew her chair to the fireside and sat looking at the ruddy logs on the low hearth and meditating on the step she had just taken have i done wisely i wonder she asked herself surely a woman who has suffered what this poor creature has gone through must have learned to keep her own counsel it is an act of charity to give her a good home and the day may come when i shall have need of a friend sylvia had hardly thought of her sick husband while engaged in writing this letter she rose presently opened the door between the two rooms and looked into the baronet's bedchamber sir aubrey lay in a doze the fitful firelight now shining on his pale altered face now sinking into shadow chapelain sat in a comfortable chair by the bed reading the newspaper by the light of a shaded lamp which was screened from the invalid by the heavy bed curtain on the hearth-rug crouched the figure of mordred Perriam. he had crept in from sir aubrey's dressing-room noiselessly as a dog and had been permitted to remain unnoticed and unreproved End of chapters 35 and 36